0: Welcome to the We Love Arabian Horses podcast, sponsored by Markel, the insurance with horse sense. Let's jump right in.
1: Hello, everybody. This is Paul Costa with the We Love Arabian Horses podcast, and I'm thrilled today to have Mike Wheatlehan joining us. Hello, Mike.
0: Hello. How are you doing?
1: We're doing great here in Texas, and um, you're up in Canada. I think you're in Edmonton, Alberta. Is that correct?
0: Yes, that's right.
1: That's region 17 for those who don't know. Well, Mike is a long time English and saddle seat um, trainer and has been very, very successful in his career. And we've got some topics on English and marketing and promotion and other things we're going to talk about and breeding. So Mike, why don't we start with how you got started and first found your Arabian or got started with horses way back when?
0: Sure. Well, I started with a horse back when I was six years old. My, uh, Dad had horses. We lived in Montana, and we would just ride them just through the hills. And uh, when we moved up to Canada, my dad got interested in Arabians, and uh, we contacted Kale, Dr. Kale in Washington and got some show horses, and my dad started showing. He showed as a young man, but just ordinary horses. And uh, then he started showing Arabians, and I soon followed at about, uh oh, 13, 14 years of age, um, started showing Arabians with my dad.
1: That's fantastic. So back then, were you showing in all kinds of different disciplines like we all did?
0: Oh, yes. I showed in Western and, and English and halter. Uh, we showed in driving. Um I I did not show a native costume, and uh, nor have I ever shown. I've trained hunter horses to be national champions, but I've never shown in the hunter division.
1: Right. Well, what do you think about the Arabian in particular? Because you were a fan of horses, but then you kind of gravitated to Arabians. What about Arabians do you find it's, you know, drawing your passion the most?
0: Well, I. I had exposure early on with some people that had moved from Kentucky with saddlebreds. And so I liked animated horses. So I migrated to the English division. And, of course, my dad had Arabians. So I was drawn to the animation. And then one day I was uh, in the library at my school. And reading about horses, and, and I came upon a section of, of Arabian horses. And there was an article in there with pictures of Gene LaCroix uh, working horses in Arizona, and actually a picture of Raymond, and he was teaching him how to uh, set a horse's head. Huh. And this was just in, a, in an ordinary book on horses. And I thought, well, wow, that looks really cool. And it didn't take me long to to find out where that fellow lived, and uh, I went and saw him.
1: Well, that's – how old were you then?
0: Uh, I was uh, 16.
1: Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. So and, your, your passion for the Arabian kind of gravitated, and then you also got very specifically interested in the saddle seat divisions.
0: Very quickly, very quickly. And, you know, had it not been for uh, – bosk and and the gene lacroix training method i think i probably would have ended up found my way to the saddlebred
1: because gotcha. i just
0: like the high trot
1: right yeah well you certainly made a name for yourself with uh, many many horses over the years and um did you get started in your um training career very early or how, how did that happen
0: very early uh I was first asked to train somebody else's horse when I was uh, about 15. And by the time I was 16, I had about 30 horses in training.
1: Oh, my gosh. So very early. (laughs) Very early, yeah. Well, and you had a professional training bond in all those years?
0: Yes. Uh, And made it through high school, barely, because I was – I knew what I wanted to do, which was be a horse trainer. And, you know, having all those horses in training and showing uh, didn't leave much time for my scholastic career to develop in school. But uh, got out of school, got out of high school, and went down to Kales Arabians, and apprenticed under Bud Cornell, who was their trainer at the time for a couple of years, and on and off, I would uh you know help gene out at, at horse shows and uh you know go to his clinics and and do that sort of thing kales and lacroix were were very close friends and and at that time it uh you know the communications were free flowing between the two of them
1: right. Well, so the the, the, the next couple of years and through the decades, you just continued focusing on the, the English division, and we didn't have country English pleasure back then. At some point, we had country pleasure. I think we decided it was back in 1984. How did right. that impact your, your interest, and did you like the addition to the, devi- the, the English division?
0: You know, uh, at first, you know, I was a devout English guy, and the horse could either step up, or it couldn't, and uh, so I thought, well, that's an interesting division, but the the rules and the idea of the country horse was so undecided and so gray that uh, nobody could really figure out what to pick in the country division. Was it a horse with a lower headset? Was it a horse with a high headset but just couldn't break at the knee? Could it go fast? Could it go slow? It, it was very undecided in the beginning. And uh, I didn't participate in it too much in the first few years. I tried it and, you know, couldn't quite figure out where we needed to to be. So I thought, well, I'm just going to let it settle out till I figure out what they want to look at, and then maybe I can train one to do that. Sure. Sure. Um, and that was back, of course, in the day when there was—and you would remember this—when there would be 110, 115 horses entered at U.S. Nationals in the English class because there was no definition between that and—and and country didn't exist yet.
1: Right, right, right.
0: So then, as as country came on and they decided what they were looking for, I jumped into that and thought it was a a great class and won several national championships in it. Um, And it has proceeded on to be actually an extremely beautiful class, but in my opinion, just now has the wrong name on it. Uh, it It is much more of an English class than what I would perceive a country English class to be. Yeah. and uh, But it's a pretty class to watch. It just has the wrong name.
1: Well, and I think there's some movement within our judging community and the EEC and uh, to, to kind of realign some of those rules and kind of bring it back to where it's supposed to be. That's what I've heard at least.
0: I um, mean, uh-huh. create
1: a little bit more of a, a definition between English and country right now because you do point out kind of a flaw with the system a little bit.
0: Right. And it, and it's unfortunate. Uh before I lost my eyesight, I was a judge as well, and it would be very hard to not pick a very stylish English horse, whether it was a country class or or an English class, to you know not put that horse first. Um, I don't know if they just need to add another class called classic country, with the judges being extremely educated on, on what to pick for that class, which would be a, a stylish horse, in my opinion, you know, nice headset moving forward, ears up, quiet mouth, very happy, very, very English-like, just not a high break at the knee.
1: Right, right, um, right.
0: And that could, that could be okay. Uh, you know, there's several ways to go. When the saddlebred – started their country class. They had it for amateurs only and certain shoeing regulations like I think they allowed a shoe and no pad um, and amateurs only and that preserved all their other divisions. The, the park, the three gated, the five gated. Right. Um, we did not do that and the trainers were allowed to show and you know, when trainers get involved, they they take it to the maximum because that's what trainers do, and yeah. and it's a good thing that they do that. Uh, but you know, it got kind of mired in, and you know, you really cannot tell what class you're looking at if you walk in on one, uh, on any level, but specifically the national level, you're you're not sure if you're looking at. An English class or a country class and that's not
1: right. Well, I think one problem with adding another class like classic country, which would be a great idea, is we just we're so packed with classes as it is to have another division. I think the first effort is gonna be trying to align the definition the differences in the definition of the two and having the judges re educated on the difference and kinda helping the trainers to see that there is a significant difference and getting country to be back what country should be. Um, I think right. is what I've heard is the primary goal. We just don't have enough room in our schedule to add a whole nother division. Right. But um, and on, go on.
0: Soon it, it may correct itself because the trainers it is the the country class is such a competitive class today that the trainers may take their riders and their horses and put them back in the English where they have a much better chance of going top ten or winning regional championships because of of the lack of open-type English horses. So they may swing back so that they can get some prizes and get out of the, the more competitive uh, country class.
1: Well, that's interesting. And if we throttle country back a little, that will push some into English, and that will throttle that back a little bit, which would push more yeah. back into the park class. Right, exactly.
0: Like, uh, for example... And, you know, I can say this and not hurt anybody's feelings because I breed to him, but uh, Micah, the Open English horse this year, is a, is a beautiful horse, but he's a beautiful park horse, mm-hmm. and, and he wins the Open English. Uh, the year before that, Divine Style is a beautiful English horse, but also won the park. And that should not be the same horse. Uh, Park is completely different than English. It's saddle seat, but they move differently. They create a different picture. Um, So somewhere along the lines, and I've talked to some of the powers to be, there has to be a, a furthering of education of the judges. And, you know, it would be very hard to not put a Micah first in the English. But he's a full-blown park horse. so where where do you draw that line? In my opinion, that's what he is. Um, but, of course, there, therein lies the problem. It's people's opinions.
1: Well, and I think that the clarity of the definition of each and, and trying to, you know, make three distinct English divisions, country, English, and park, be much more discernible, and then not mixing back and forth as much would be um, a step in the right direction. And I do know myself, and myself as a judge, and fellow judges. You know, you do get out there, and you have a horse that's probably, you know, too much for this country class, but it's by far the best one in the class. And you just either yeah. got to leave it off your card, it puts you in a in a bad position right then.
0: It, it so, does. You, you're right. You either have to leave it off your card, which like, holy crap, how does that happen? You know, right. you're gonna you're gonna undergo some real scrutiny over that one, um, but if you put it first, a few people will bellyache. <laughs> so it's a hard position to put the judge in, or to be put in.
1: Well, a horse like that, and I've had this happen several well many times, um, especially at the national show and big shows like Scottsdale. You know, that that winner horse that could be your winner is not necessarily driven to the exact specifications of the class, and you really can't just give it third. Because it's right. too much horse, you either have to give it first or last.
0: Right, Or exactly. out,
1: out of the money. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you might love the horse. You might absolutely love the horse, it's just in the wrong
1: division. Well, um a friend of mine has made the analogy, and I think it's a good one. He goes, that horse being in the wrong class would be no different than if they brought a Western pleasure horse in this country class. And you would have to leave it off the car just because it's wearing – English text doesn't mean it fits the specifications, and I, I like that, that analogy. That's a really good one. That is a really good analogy. Well, listen, switching topics a little bit, you had a lot of great show horses over the years. Was there any horse or two that you really liked or were special for you?
0: Oh, several, several, several. But uh, the the first one, obviously, that comes to mind was my first national championship, which was Matador. Uh, zodiac matador he was uh boston won the national champion park with him in Canada in nineteen eighty four and just you know he I was a Lazma fan Jean lacroix fan, and he was the first horse that really showed me that that it was that line of horse that that was that great um and he was kind, very limber legged uh beautiful horse to be around and uh that horse uh, was the number one uh one of his sons, a half arabian by the name of Dancelot, extremely talented, won many national championships in the amateur and open division, and uh same sort of thing, very limber legged uh I knew enough about saddlebred bloodlines to cross that one the way I wanted and he came out just specifically to order and then of course the third one would be pension who was just a uh, he was uh, he was like sea biscuit he just looked like a small brown horse in his stall but he had the heart of a lion and uh you know, he won in 99 and was reserve in 2000, and just a tremendous athlete that gave it his all. And uh, those were very cool horses and all of the Boss line, all of the Matador line. Um, so those were three of my favorite ones, but I had That's many great.
1: that I liked. It's hard to narrow it down, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, but those were three that were, you know, really game changers, I thought.
1: Well, Mike, you've had a number of amateurs that have been very successful over your career, and also due to some health reasons, you've kind of changed the way you're doing your business. Why don't you share a little bit about the last five years or so and what's going on, how you're managing yourself inside of your business, and some of your amateur wins even more recently?
0: Okay. Uh, Well, I had some uh, amateur national championships. I had an incident happen to me in 2016. I... I uh had a heart attack and uh it was quite severe and uh when I woke up I, I couldn't see uh very much at all. And um didn't know what I was gonna do, was pretty shaken up obviously, didn't feel confident enough to, to run a training barn, but definitely wanted to be around the horses still. So I came back from Washington where I was living and training and had a farm there and, uh, came back to Canada and, and was going to retire, uh, but just couldn't retire. So I started breeding some half Arabians and, uh, my, and, and training a couple of the horses that I kept for my daughter and my wife. And, uh, lo and behold i i could still train i had to get confident in what i could and couldn't see and how fast uh, i couldn't move or could move um and all of a sudden was having some success my my daughter won at scottsdale my wife was reserve champion at scottsdale uh the first year we went back there and uh and my wife became national champion, and my daughter was tied for reserve national champion in in her division, uh, which were both country horses yeah and and then uh, one of the very first saddlebred that I bred became the three year old world champion fine harness horse uh, with the help of of the great jim stakowski and uh, then won the the park division this year. Uh, and and he was sold to Stan White, of all people. Wow. Um, yeah, and Stan is going to show him next year. So That's, that's fantastic. Of, yeah, yeah, I was thrilled with that. And uh, right now we're starting some two- and three-year-old half Arabians, and uh, they're looking extremely promising. And I ride on pretty much a daily basis uh, with the help of, Several people, my wife, my daughter, and a couple of girls that helped me at the barn. We we moved them along with their training, and it all seems to be working pretty well. That's
1: exciting. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I love when people have a life situation that happens and kind of changes their plan, but they, they keep with their passion, and they find a way to make it happen either way. That's a great story.
0: Yeah, that's good.
1: Well, switching topics a little bit, I know that marketing and promotion and how we can promote the Arabian is important to you, and you've got several thoughts on that. Um, we Love Arabian Horses was created to help create more outbound marketing and promotion and increase our ability to share our horses with others. Do you have any thoughts on marketing and promotion that you'd like to share with us today?
0: I do. I do. You know, I would like – when when all of these clubs – uh, our local clubs and our big leadership clubs. You know, in my mind, the idea of behind all these clubs is to bring people together to help promote the Arabian horse. And one thing that frustrates me is these clubs, whether it be the local level and on up, seem to get mired down with the bureaucracy of things, and the rules and regulations and, uh, you know, all of the things that are required to change something, um, instead of just looking at it and saying, well, yeah, we need to change that because it's just going to be better. Uh, And I do understand there needs to be some rules so that things just don't go running amok, but It just seems to be a little too quagmired down with that sort of thing to the point where they almost lose sight of of the promotion of the Arabian horse.
1: Right. And
0: that's really one of my frustrations and beefs about any organization. And honestly, it probably goes right on up to my my prime minister in Canada and your presidents in the United States, the it's just it just can't be simplified some for some reason, right? Um, so I guess it's maybe just the the issue of the politics of the whole thing, and the different agendas of just people and the human race. You know, the the main agenda should be the promotion of the Arabian horse, not can I be the secretary of the club or can I right. be the president of the club or can I be this or that? It's not about what you can be. It should be about what can I do to help the the Arabian.
1: Well, and I think if you look at any, any industries, you know, across all industries, not just the horse industry, the the organizations that run them all the way from the local up to the highest level, like you said, they they become so bureau, bureaucratically um organized that they they slow themselves down and they can't, they can't move very quickly. So the bureaucracy kind of ends up throttling the ability to be the promoting arm of the breed.
0: Right. Right. Right, which is well, unfortunate. <clears throat>
1: yeah I understand that and and I think we're all doing our best to um continue promoting the breed and feeding up to the organizations locally to regionally to nationally that that support us and do provide great services um but building out marketing programs that would help us all grow and have more people come and find a beautiful arabian horse
0: right Which so is what a great about horse
1: it is and it's i kind of I talk to people a lot about marketing and I always say you know we have one of the best products on the planet to market it's beautiful and it's versatile it can do a lot of different things and um it's quite um you know a special animal so we do have a great product and that's um one of the compelling moments of the the breed
0: yeah
1: switching topics a little bit um we talk a little bit about things that we could work on or things that we can do what what flags up for you as things that we can do better or things that we might want to work on in the next five years
0: I would say things that we can work on definitely are the coming together of the organizations, uh, again, to, you know, keep the Arabian horse the number one thought in, in mind. That's, that's the number one thing we can work on. And, you know, uh, I'm from another country now, although I spent probably half my life in the US and half in Canada. So, you know, somebody asked me one time, well, what country are you loyal to? I said, I'm loyal to Country Wheelahan.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: I want to do what's best for my people. And, uh, but I think, you know, the two countries are so closely associated. Number 1, they need to come together if that's what they're going to do and, you know, keep in mind the promotion of the Arabian horse. Number 1. Number 1. All the clubs, all everything needs to keep that in mind. Then of course the 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 horse shows need some revision. As they got bigger in the 70s, 80s and early 90s, they started to de- to develop more clubs, more horse shows and and it was needed because you couldn't have one horse show in Washington or it would be, you know, too many horses at it. Sure. Um, so th- they had to have different clubs and different horse shows. Well, through different reasons many of them economic times uh, tax law changes, economic times, many things uh, have come about to to make it smaller, mostly economics. Um, they need to get back together, and you know, in my opinion, the regionals need to be revised. Uh, there's too many regionals in my opinion you know, keep in mind, this is all my opinion. Um, (laughs) There's too many horse shows in any one state so that each horse show only attracts 80 to 120 horses, which an 80 horse horse show is, is not, it's like a ghost town. Mm -hmm. Um, If they combine them and get together, All of a sudden, you're going to have three, four, five hundred horse horse shows again, and you know I'm not talking about region 14 or region 12 or possibly region nine, but there's a big world outside of those main conglomerate where where everybody likes to go show. Sure. Um, There's regionals out there with a hundred horses at them, um, and that's. You know they need to combine the regionals, in my opinion, uh, so that you know they draw those three to six hundred horse horse shows again. And well, so you're really talking about show.
1: combining. You're talking about combining maybe even clubs or shows yeah. and or regions yeah. like uh, across the board, because we just don't have enough customers really to support right. this infrastructure.
0: Right, right across the board, the clubs need to come together and get one club, uh, depending on the area, um, you know, region one and two, I think they're like within 30 miles of each other. Uh, you know, that's the California, the, the Santa Barbara and Del Mar. I mean, you know, what are they doing with two regionals that close? Well, maybe there was a time when they needed to have two regionals, but not today. Well, you're right, and
1: back then, remember, California was really the hub of the Arabian industry, and they had three regions just in California, and the the population is – along the lines of customer um, retention losses, you've got shifting individuals and farms and whatnot, and now, you know, like Scottsdale, for example, is much, much larger than it was back then.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so – Maybe take a look at restructuring, and you're right. Right from the right from the ground up, uh, you know, combine clubs, combine horse shows. If I, you know, and I spent a fair amount of time in Washington State, they have, you know, in my opinion, too many horse shows, too many clubs. Combine the clubs, combine the shows, and maybe maybe your state has three horse shows, and it's regional. Maybe its regional is region five, four, and three combined.
1: Mm-hmm. Now you've
0: got a 550, 600 horse horse show. Now that's not going to make many trainers happy because they love to go to as many shows as they can get done. But uh, again, for the betterment of the breed, you're better off to have a 500 horse horse show than a 100 horse horse show.
1: Well, and the other thing that's happened in the meantime, just to add something quickly here, is the facility costs literally over the last 10 years have in many cases doubled. So you can't right. afford to have an 80-horse horse or show it, it isn't enough horses to pay the bills. Right.
0: Absolutely. There's the economics that come into it again. Um, you know, region one, two, and possibly seven should be combined. And, uh, you know, because they're all within – easy driving range
1: right 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 Um,
0: i don't know uh, how close or how far apart some of those eastern regionals are but you know maybe 11 and 13 and and something need to be combined maybe 11 13 and 6 or something they all kind of run along that line Um, i just think the whole thing could use a revision and instead of letting it collapse Be proactive and make some changes before it collapses because it's headed – I mean, it's a clear path that it is heading that way. And if people can't see that, they need to raise their head
1: up and and look around. Right. Well, it's kind of like a restructuring, and I, I, I liken it to any corporation that has had some losses over the years and they need to restructure and it's really hard to restructure a bureaucratic organization, but sometimes you're you're just forced to do so, and for all the right reasons.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you see it. Like you say, you see it in the big corporations. I mean, they take a look at what's going on, and they say, you know, we need to cut this division out, and or we need to let these people go so that we can survive as as a corporation. And the Arabian horse needs to get it together so that it survives and they have horse shows, uh, because you're right, an 80-horse horse show is going to choke out anyway in a year or two, because they're not going to be able to afford the facilities.
1: Well, and then when they're doing that with the smaller horse shows and they have to have the customers, the ones that come and show at that show, absorb the difference in price, then the, it raises the cost of the show such that you really can't afford to show anymore.
0: Right. And basically, There's a
1: domino effect.
0: domino effect, and it it all ends up collapsed.
1: Right. Well, I'm really glad that you brought this up. It's something that has been discussed, I know, for many years, um, combining the regions or combining clubs and whatnot. Even in Region 9, which is a very robust region, it could not support the number of Class A shows. So a lot of the clubs here, several of them that I know in particular, they quit having Class A show, for example, and they just put on – like five little one day fun shows and they've kind of shifted their mission to be a mm-hmm. grassroots level club and promote that way and not be in the world of trying to host a class a show every year. Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. So then that's a good thing to have a, a one day fun show and just get your horse out and, and show it around a little bit.
1: Um, you know, well, one of those one of those clubs, the uh, Central Texas Raving Horse Club. Their one day horse shows were larger than any Class A show they were putting on, and some <laughs> of the other Class A shows were smaller than these one day fun day shows,
0: in terms yeah. of number of horses. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, and well, uh, yeah,
1: you've got such great ideas, and I really appreciate talking to you and your thoughts on these topics and. Uh, We'd love to have you on the podcast again. I, re- I really appreciate your time, and the uh, subjects that you brought up today have been fantastic.
0: Sure. Thank you. Thank you. I'm thrilled to have
1: you. and Yeah, from We Love Arabian Horses and myself personally, just really appreciate your commitment to promotion and marketing and outreach as well.
0: Okay. Thanks, Paul. Hey, this is Austin, director of the We Love Arabian Horses podcast. Thanks for listening. If you want to
1: share ideas, feedback, or want to get involved, send me an email at austin at welovearabianhorses.com.